Amen. Isn't it good to be alive in Jesus Christ today? Amen. Come on, come on. Isn't it good to be alive in Jesus Christ today? Amen. I joked with uh, Pastor Jeff a couple weeks ago that when they were finishing up that song, I was going to put on a wig like Boston had and come up there and do a little solo with them, but obviously that didn't happen. Well, good to see you this morning. And um, happy Memorial Day this weekend to you. And I want to thank all the men and all the women who have served and the families that have served and come along with those who have served, especially those who have lost somebody from serving our country. And I know that I am very thankful, and now many of you are as well, very grateful for those men and women who do serve. I have some family that are serving, some that have served in the Navy, um, in the Army, and in the Marines, and I'm very grateful for them and for all of you as well. And when we think about the serving and the sacrifices we made, the greatest sacrifice ever done is Jesus Christ, so that we can have the freedom today to be able to be here and worship Him in truth and spirit. So welcome to the Foundation Church, where we're authentic with Jesus, and so we can be authentic with one another, and taking the Great Commission to the Great Communities. And in saying all that, we love our N2Y kids, and you guys are dismissed, and they have already know that they're already there. So, like, y'all, you're talking too long. I'm just going to go. Um, today, we are in the third of the fifth week of our sermon series, More Than a Feeling. And Jesus is more than a feeling. For sure. And last week, we kind of wrapped up chapter one of Colossians. We're going through the book of Colossians in the sermon series. And we went through the last portion of Colossians chapter one. And the theme kind of of this book, in a way, is that Jesus Christ is preeminent. He is supreme. Like, he is it. And last week, we discussed about this preeminent faith. And this preeminent faith, there's the preeminent Christ the preeminent church, and this preeminent call in our life. And then within that, we came to some concluding thoughts that we are to share this faith and participate in this calling, the Great Commission, because of the preeminent Christ himself, who has saved us from our sins and offered us salvation. So just like Paul and others, we're to continue in that journey today. And But here, as we get into chapter 2, Paul pauses for just a brief moment. And so as we get this synopsis and this thought process of Colossians chapter 1, this preeminent Christ, it's all supreme, it's all wrapped up in Him, and you're to be this church, and you're to go out and serve like I did, and it's all about getting people to mature in Christ. He then was going to talk about these persuasions that are going to come along in chapter 2. But before he does that, he goes over the first few verses. Because he talks, we have this passion, right? For Jesus Christ, and these people had some passion. But let me say this that if your passion for anything, philosophy, science, politics, your work, um, it could be about culture, it could be art, it could be sports, it could be anything, it could be hobbies or of the like, it doesn't really matter. If it overtakes or even comes close to your passion for Jesus, then the Christ centeredness of your life is not centered at all. The passion for Jesus, it goes back to the preeminent thought that Paul had is Christ. Your passions for Christ should surmount everything else. So Paul's getting to this point. He wants to bring us back to a point today that um, Jesus needs to be your passion. You say, well, you know, they didn't have all these things then. 
like we do now, like all the mask wearing and the viruses and the crazy zealots of different things of, you know, or the social justice warriors or whatever you want to call it, or racism and various religions like what they, we had today. And it may not be the most apples and apples comparison, but let me tell you, they had their political issues, their zealots. They had philosophers, Paul even spoke to a number of them, confronted them at Mars Hill. Progressive culture, they had that. Various religions, and you know what? They had sicknesses and some serious diseases. So it may not be the most the, the exact names, but the names have changed. But let me tell you, the same issues then are very apparent today. And so we see, in, as we get to chapter 2, we'll read the first few verses here before we move on. This is what Paul said in chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and having to all, attain to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. And in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. And Paul is reminding us today, as we get into this life, there's going to be a few things he's reminding us here is that we're going to struggle. As Paul is struggling, we're going to have struggles. You may have struggles. I know I have struggles. But he says this as well, be encouraged. We can be encouraged in Jesus Christ today. There's going to be persuasions, be encouraged. Why? Because there's a great love that binds us to himself, to us together. It's not our love, it's Christ's love. So, not only is there a great love and to be encouraged, but there's a great wealth and the full assurance of our faith. We can have assurance of our faith. And we can grow in the understanding and the knowledge of who Jesus is, the author of our faith. So Paul's like, I, before I move on, and even though I gave you these things about the supreme Christ we talked about last week about being the church, taking up the commission, and uh, heeding the call us personally like Paul did, before I go on any further, let me establish a few thoughts because it's very paramount to you and your walk. This word, deluded, this word deluded in verse 4. So that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. This word delude, it means to miscalculate, to reason falsely. And what Paul is saying is, listen, we can make some miscalculations along the way and we can be led falsely if we're not careful. I don't want you to be deluded and miscalculated along the way. And I'm going to give you some things that are going to maybe cause that. So now he gets into it because I don't want you to be persuaded. Because in this life, there's going to be struggles, and we need Jesus. So the four things that we're going to talk about today, the first three other persuasions, philosophical, the legal persuasions, the cultural persuasions, and then the last thing we're going to talk about is biblical pursuit. So this here's this first point, is the first miscalculation that Paul speaks of is this philosophical persuasion in verses 8 to 12. We'll read those real quickly, and starting verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. 
For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority, and in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead." And what is this paramount thought? In him, Jesus. All knowledge, all truth resides in Christ. Don't be persuaded with this philosophy and empty deception. Here's a quick story. Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers, started out his youthful journey on a search for the highest wisdom. And listen to his story. He says, I, he tried a Stoic on his journey. And the Stoic who told him that his search was vain So he turned to a second philosopher, and the second philosopher, whose greed for money, quenched any hope of assistance from him. So then Justin Martyr appealed to a third, third, who required of him a preliminary knowledge of music, astronomy, and geometry. So just think, a thirsty soul for Jesus, or a thirsty soul for truth, and after God, and pardon and peace, and then being told, you can't have any of this until basically you get a college degree. How many would be shut out from God's presence? You see, in his helplessness, Justin Martyr applied to be a follower of Plato. So under his guidance, he began to have some hope that he was on the right track. But one day, when earnestly groping for the truth, he was met by a nameless man who talked to him about this man named Jesus Christ. And immediately he felt he was at the end of his quest, and straightway a flame was kindled in his soul. It's not the false teachings, all the different philosophers, the Stoics, the philosophers, it doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus. The Colossians were facing a lot of these different teachings to them that, that during this time. We see a lot of teachings ourselves on the radio and TV. We see it everywhere. And these, this philosophy that Paul talks about and empty deception, these are two key characteristics of philosophical persuasion. Here's what philosophy is defined as. It is the pursuit of learning, wisdom, discipline, such as science, liberal arts, medicine, law, theology. But basically, in layman's terms, here's what it's basically what, what uh, philosophy is. It's to study underlying things so that you have a foundational um, basis and have knowledge to know how things should be. Let me say this to you. Any philosopher that is not building on the truths of God's Word and who He is, it's futile. It's fruitless. It's not worth the paper it's written on. And here's what empty deceit, as Paul alludes to it here, And um, in in verse 8, he says, empty deceit. Empty means foolishness, and deceit means the act of practicing practicing something or misrepresenting the truth. And here's what Paul is saying, is that, look, when we get into this empty deceit, we can be misled by great people who have a lot of information and be well-schooled. But let me tell you, it's great to have knowledge. It's great. It's great to get information. But if it is not progressing into the truth and who you are in your pursuit of Jesus Christ, then it's futile. It's just information. There's some great scholars around the world, and they're very philosophical. 
have a lot of great knowledge. But at the end of the day, what is putting you closer to the relationship with Jesus and getting you to heaven? That's Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying all this great knowledge that you're getting from outside influences, it's good stuff. But it does nothing for your building into who he is and to the body of Christ. We have to be careful about how we're being persuaded. It's not bad to go get knowledge and get information and to learn and go to school. But don't let it persuade you from the truth of him. And we see here, and Paul talks about that, it could keep us captive. See that no one takes you captive through this. This word captive means to be carried away. Carried off like spoils. When we give into the philosophies and empty, empty deception, it perverts our mind and can carry us away from truth. Be careful what you invest in and what you pursue. And these heresies for, the, for this church in Coloss, Paul's admonishing them, be careful. Be careful. And it goes back to his first few verses before he starts saying this. Be grounded in the spiritual love of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about this biblical truth here in just a minute. But here's a second persuasion. Here's a second persuasion. Legal persuasion, verses 13 to 17. When you are dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, meaning Jesus, made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. That's a praise the Lord. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. You see, these things, which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Here, what am I talking about? I'm not talking about, and what was Paul talking about? He's not talking about some legal thing of like a court and a lawyer. What he's talking about, a legalistic lifestyle in a church or in life. Imposing this legalistic fashion of the way we ought to do things. Like you had to do this specific thing to attain this specific thing. Like certain works, laws, rules, regulations or something needs to be established, or you have to attain this nirvana to attain this, and that's just untrue. That's not true. See, the, anything like through faith in Jesus Christ, all of heaven, all of this um, biblical pursuit only comes through and by Jesus. All truth is established in him. People coming into these new believers at the Church of Colossus, and they wanted to add to their dietary lifestyle. They wanted to add to salvation. They want to add to their works to be able to attain to something. Listen, if anybody tells you that you have to do this to attain to salvation, then they're just telling, giving you a bunch of false information and heresy. That's not true. It's not about, you know, days and festivals. and These things that were observed under the Mosaic Law, that was some good stuff. But it all pointed to Jesus Christ, which is what Paul talks about. The shadow of the things that were to come. It says, but the substance is Christ. Christ has come. So now you and I as believers, we have freedom in him. We can go live Jesus Christ. Listen, don't be caught up and have to look 
a certain way. And look, we, we need one, one dress in here modestly. We want to look modestly for the Lord. But it's not about the exact clothes you wear. It's not the specific words you say. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Here's a third thing. Right, let me give you this little point. Any religion today that tells you you must do something yourself to obtain salvation or to ob obtain some spiritual place or to obtain heaven is totally false and ignorant of real truth. So let's go to the third point. Cultural persuasion. Cultural persuasion. We talked about the philosophical persuasion that they're facing and that we do face today. We talk about the legalistic persuasion that that church was facing. And we see it today as well. But now let's talk about the cultural influence and the cultural persuasion that comes about. And Paul alludes to this in verses 18 to 23. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, talking about Jesus, from whom the, whole, the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you are living in the world, do you submit yourself to such decrees, such as, hey, don't handle, do, do not taste, don't touch. All things refer to things um, destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in itself, um, self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. What Paul is saying here is this, look, culture may have a bunch of stuff to give you and tell you how to live. Listen, this has everything in how we ought to live. Anybody that wants to add or take away through, from the gospel or from God's word is not truth. It is not. And so as, as uh, these, this church of class was going through and as we see anyone that wants to tell you, hey, you know what? Jesus is great, but I only agree with a certain a few things about the Bible. These I kind of have issue with. That's like this cultural Christianity type thing that we see so prevalent, in, in, especially in this Western culture today. And in, in a sense, we see many, and many do, claim Christianity as the religion. You see, a cultural Christian will put on these name tags that states, hey, I'm a Christian. But their underlying beliefs and their behaviors totally contradict what a biblical Christian should look like. Here in Colossians chapter 2, Paul is identifying these people, and he kind of summarizes this way. If you're living in this world, do you want to submit to the ideas like, don't do this and can't say that, or um, you have to be able to live this way by these cultural rules? Or like, you know what, if, if you think like hate speech or any of these things, they want to start to infuse. Listen, it's not about how does Jesus fit the culture. That's not how it works. It's about how does Jesus transform the culture to be more like him. We don't take the Bible and say, well, what is good to fit my lifestyle? It's not about how can this come and fit in today's society or culture. It's about how can we go and read God's word and how can it change my life? You see, if we were as cultural Christians looked at it this way to say, oh, you know what? We'll see how Jesus fits into this culture today. I don't agree with how things are moving. Um, there may be some hot topic buttons today. And I, I just want to see if, 
maybe it kind of fits my lifestyle. If it doesn't, then I'll claim some of it, but not all of it. And then what usually ends up happening is, is as culture moves a long time, so does Christianity and the way that looks, the way it feels, the way it loves. And that's not truth. That's not truth. We have to be careful of how we're persuaded. This is truth, and it never will change. It's the unchanging Word of God. Story of a man who wrote a letter to the editor of, a Sun, of the Sun newspaper. He says, Sir, in your editorial on the glory of the Christian year, you say the idealism of Christianity still stirs emotions of Christendom. Now, I don't think I know what that means, but somehow it reminds me of the years ago when I was fast becoming a drunkard, and I used to attend services, church services, in Newark. And I would go there just to hear a lady sing, and as she sang, she must have stirred the religious emotions in me, for I felt very pious, and my eyes became fountains of tears. Could I have remained under that spell? I don't believe I could have done anything wrong or done any evil, but... When I got out of the street again, I made for the nearest saloon, and every time I spent the next hour or so filling myself with a beer and becoming a drunkard, which must have stirred my religious emotions, because I remember on these occasions of quarreling with a bartender and a barkeeper because he didn't believe in God, so I argued with him. Whether this illustrates your point or not, I don't know, but it shows how a man can have religious emotions but not be a Christian. 23 years ago tonight, after some years after attending the church meeting I referred to, and after years of hard drinking, I attended a little women's conference, and there without any religious emotions, an awful sense of my exceeding sinfulness, I surrendered my life to Jesus. And a spirit was put in me that has been with me ever since, and I have been as free from my old way of living as though I had never lived at all. Old things have been passed away and all things have become new. You see, many in Paul's day and today will identify with certain aspects of Christianity, but it does, it does hit home emotionally in some way. You see, Jesus, though, he is more than a feeling. He is more than a feeling. He's a relationship. Renowned atheist and scientist Richard Dawkins, he's the author of The God Delusion, an outgrowing God. On several occasions, Richard Dawkins, who's an atheist, identifies himself as a cultural Christian type. Why? Because he admires some of the ceremonial and philanthropic aspects of Christianity. So he calls himself a cultural Christian type. Listen, you're not a Christian because you like some things of the Bible or believe in some things of the Bible. You're a Christian because you are a born-again believer and follower of Jesus Christ. That is a Christian. And when we forego that principle of doctrine, we are giving up and we're ruining and watering down God's Word. That is not being Christian. We need to stand firm in our faith. We don't take the Bible and see how it fits. The Bible should transform our minds and our hearts to Him. And here's our last point. It's about biblical pursuit. It goes back to what Paul was talking about. He says, you're going to be persuaded, as he says in verse 4. And then he goes, continues on from 4 to 7. Let's read it real quickly. 
He says, I say this, that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Having, a, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you are instructed and overflowing with gratitude. You see, here's the two things. Paul's saying, I, I know that you're going to be persuaded by some things, but you need to be careful. I'm telling you these things so you don't get persuaded out of your faith. So he gives two characteristics about this persuasion. And let me say this to you. If you don't remember anything else about this sermon, anything else, if you can remember it, maybe just one of these points and apply it, I'll be happy. <laughs> just one of these two points is this. The first one about this biblical pursuit is discipline. He talks about it here. We need good discipline in our lives. Good discipline. More specifically, spiritual discipline. Because if I just throw discipline out there, it can be convoluted. Because some of you have good discipline. Some of you have good discipline. Some of you have good discipline on Twitter. You can scroll through that thing so quickly and throw back the information and all the different things that you saw. It's great. Some of you have great gym discipline. You get into the gym, you can pump that iron, you've got good discipline, you're there all the time. And some of you have some great Facebook discipline. <laughs> you've got a set hours of every day you're on that thing and you're posting, you're liking, you're in there all the time, man. The discipline's great. And you're like, why are you going here? I know, I know. Because look, the discipline of Jesus should be outweighing the disciplines of our life. I'm just being honest with you. The disciplines during that time, they had disciplines in the church. But does it outweigh Jesus' passion in your life? I hope not. What does your prayer life look like? What's your Bible reading, your scripture reading look like? What's your serving? We talked about that at the very beginning of the new members. What's your serving in the church look like? What does your sharing of your faith look like? I mean, we need to be in our spiritual disciplines. Paul's giving us two principles, a biblical pursuit to help guard against the persuasions of this world because as we grow in them, here's a second one, stability of faith. You say, how does one get stable and grow in your faith? Ah, I'm glad you asked that question. So, he says two things here. He says, been firmly rooted and walking in Christ. What is it walk in Christ? He says, so walk in Him. Walk in Christ. It means practice. Exercise your faith. Get out and live your faith. Get out and live your life by your faith. James talks about this. Serve. Love. The things Christ commanded us and how to live. Go do them. Go read the scriptures and go live it. Go do it. Don't just know it. Go do it. Practice imitating Christ in your life. And here's the second thing. We talk about getting rooted. Getting rooted in Jesus. The word rooted means to firmly root. Like being caused to be rooted. Which means you're doing it on purpose. Like I'm going to take root in Jesus, not by accident. I'm going to be intentional on purpose. I'm going to read, and I'm going to know the Word of God. I need to know why I believe what I believe, because I need to know how to not be swayed away 
by the philosophy and the culture and the legalistic of things of this world. As we practice and get rooted, we're going to start producing fruit. As we discussed last week, Jesus needs to be preeminent. And this thought process is getting poured out even more so today in chapter 2. Jesus needs to be preeminent. And Paul talks about it quite often, this wonderful, amazing Jesus. He uses different words, but I'm just telling you, Jesus needs to be preeminent. What's your pursuit? What's your biblical pursuit? Is your biblical pursuit giving you the roots and the stability you need for the persuasions of this life? Because there's going to be persuasions. There's going to be persuasions. Are you pursuing Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, today for who you are. You are an amazing, awesome God. Lord, we pray, Father, Lord, that you will just be glorified in our life. And I pray that we start to build into you, be built up in you, Lord, in Christ. We need to be built into you, Father. So I pray, Lord, today that we get roots, that we get into spiritual disciplines, and let us be fruitful for you. Lord, we love you. May you be preeminent. May we pursue you more and greater than any other thing. In Jesus' name, amen. So our life lesson today is this. Pursue Jesus. I know it's a pretty long thing to memorize, right? Pursue Jesus. So let's go do that. Pursue Jesus today and um, have a great and awesome week. So out of our seats. Oh, my goodness. Come on. Out of our seats. And to the world. God bless you guys. Have a great week.